0: Yeah. Hello and welcome to another fantabulous episode of the OST Party. This is a movie soundtrack podcast where movie fans and music fans get together and have a rocking good time talking about all your favorite movie soundtracks. My name is Joseph Wade. I'll be your host for this evening. Here with me tonight is my lovely and belligerent co-host Libby Codemore. Libby, I detect that you, like me, are endowed with the gift of gab.
1: Yes, I am indeed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) How are you this evening?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: Doing great. Uh, so Swingers was a fun episode because we got really deep into like the Neo-Swing revival. And I think we've, the pendulum has swung too far in the other direction.
1: <laughs> yes, because now we're in the folk and bluegrass revival as we talk about 2000s, Oh Brother, Where Art
0: Thou? Yes. <laughs> uh, a, f- a film that I have loved ever since it came out. As oh, yeah. One of, one of the first like adult movies that I really kind of cared about when I started getting into like real people movies. <laughs> That, that weren't Star Wars and I, it's like, yeah Oh Brother Warwick, that was like the um, the gateway drug to me being a, an insufferable Coen Brothers nerd.
1: Fair. Um, <laughs> this one, this is my favorite Coen Brothers movie but this is really kind of beginner level I mean this is everybody loves this film yeah so I did not progress much beyond this I like the Coen's okay but I I tend to stick in the shallow end here
0: if I may use a uh, an analogy that you might hate me for I feel like liking the Coen brothers is like being a steely Dan fan for film nerds
1: (laughs) that's fair that's (laughs) fair it's like everybody knows them but like people truly like they get them
0: like true nerds have like a, a favorite and it's not the big Lebowski Yes. Okay.
1: Okay. Understood. Respect.
0: Hudsucker proxy. There. I'll put that out into the world. Anyway, (laughs) so uh, before we get into Oh Brother, Where Art Thou Proper, uh, let's go back to our swingers episode and see how the polls shook out. Libby, what do you got for us?
1: So our sweet honey babies had two polls that they had to vote in. The first was our Big Bad Voodoo Daddy poll with three songs on the soundtrack. We wanted to see which were your favorites. Um, Surprisingly... I want to be like you, which was not featured in the film, took first place with fifty-seven percent of the vote.
0: That's amazing.
1: Yes, um, the the one that was in the film, uh, "You and Me in the Bottle Makes Three Tonight," got forty-two percent of the vote, and Go Daddy-O got no percent of the vote.
0: Oh,
1: yikes! Wow. Yeah. I'm <laughs> disappointing, but Go Daddy O isn't my favorite song. And as we discussed, I think there were probably a few better songs they could have used. I would have used Mr. Pinstripe suit in its place. Nice. And the fact that Dayton with No Doe by Royal Crown Review was sort of shoved off onto more music than from Swingers is a real disservice because that is basically the plot of swingers. They have no money.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. So That's a shame. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it is. But we also did a second poll about the sort of retro classic jazz pieces that were on the Swinger soundtrack. So um Tide were King of the Road and She Th- Thinks I Still Care, both at 36%.
0: Nice.
1: Your Nobody Till Somebody Loves You had 27% and Nobody Voted for With Plenty of Money in You. Aww. I know, because I really, really like that one.
0: Uh, Poor Tony Bennett.
1: I know. How could we do this to Tony Bennett?
0: I know. What what did he ever do to you?
1: Yeah, exactly. So we will have a poll about your favorite songs from Oh Brother Where Art Thou after this
0: episode drops. Mm -hmm. Yep. Keep an eye on that at our Twitter account, at OST Party. So let's talk about Oh Brother Where Art Thou.
1: This was your pick, so I'll let you tell us all about it.
0: Okay. So coming off of... uh, The big Academy Award and popular hit like Fargo, uh, the Coen brothers decided to make this weird little shaggy dog kind of detective comedy called The Big Lebowski that at the time, basically nobody liked. It didn't really make a lot of money. Critics weren't that crazy about it. And, um, you know, time has certainly borne that one out as most people's favorites. But they kind of went back to the drawing board. And I don't know how, how you pivot from Big Lebowski to Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? But this was, this was the follow-up to The Big Lebowski. And
1: okay.
0: f- for that, they enlisted uh, musician T-Bone Burnett to help them create this sort of uh, soundtrack, the sonic palette of old bluegrass standards and blues and gospel music to accompany a film that is essentially an old, an old southern retelling of the Odyssey, mm-hmm. which they have famously said they have never read before
1: well that makes that makes three of us
0: like at first i thought well that's clearly bullshit because that's the kind of thing the cullen brothers like to do but then later i read what they meant was they really just took the odyssey as like everything they knew from cultural osmosis and just dumped it into a film into a screenplay okay and at that point like yeah they pretty much nailed it (laughs) it's like it kind of sounded like one of those things where you know at the beginning of fargo when they say all the events are true except no it's absolutely not true it's just the kind of thing you make up because you're...
1: You're weird. You're and, just quirky. And
0: you can get away with stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. So then with this one, like, I'm not really sure how to describe it, except like it is everyone's everyone's grandma's favorite Coen Brothers movie.
1: It's just delightful. You feel good when you watch it, and it's sort of easy to digest.
0: It, it, it really is. It's so fun and so light and so goofy.
1: Yeah. And George Clooney is so charming. I can't stand it.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Like, I'm not george clooney but even as i was watching this today i was just like wow he is really charming i it's see why a, everybody likes him
0: especially like as greasy and grimy as he is in this film Like he still has that kind of he's a dapper dan man and he's got that kind of Cary grant sort of look to him
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and <laughs> I, I, it occurred to me this week that like this is kind of the perfect time of year to watch a film like this because you know summer's kind of dying down and all the leaves are starting to change everything's kind of turning brown and this movie is it's set in you know the deep south in I think Alabama or Mississippi. Mississippi, Mississippi, mm-hmm. and it's so in you know Mississippi in in uh, September it's still a hundred degrees. It's still miserable. <laughs> <laughs> so like we're in that sweet spot right now where the temperature's starting to change, the leaves are changing, everything's kind of turning brown, and this movie is just like a big blast of like brown nostalgia. <laughs>
1: Toned, I sepia tone sepia
0: tone thank you i mean yes. this this was famously one of the first movies that was like digitally color corrected because they wanted to get that sort of washed out like old-timey sepia tone look
1: yeah i mean nail it and it's not something you necessarily pick up on until you realize like oh that they they color corrected it it's just your brain processes it differently
0: Right. Like the whole movie was like made, was filmed by nostalgia because that's the that's like the vibe that you get from it. Uh, and so we're going to talk about a lot about the the music here because the movie is very episodic. And actually, the soundtrack does a really good job of keeping things like start to finish, mm-hmm. which is something that not a lot of soundtracks we cover do.
1: No, and this one, thankfully, goes right through the movie and mm-hmm. each track corresponds with the scenes that we'll be talking about it's not one of those that jumps all over the place.
0: Right. So it's
1: chronological.
0: So we're going to we're going to get into that in just a minute. But first, I have a lot of billboarding school. Let's do it. As you all probably know, this album was a big big deal.
1: Yeah, you probably have it within reach.
0: Yeah. As Some, you're listening to this. Somebody in your family has a copy of this. I've got it. I've got it. The soundtrack in the movie came out December 5th, 2000, um, but it hit the, the album hit the charts on January 13th, 2001, at number 192. The number one album that week was the Beatles' Greatest Hits compilation titled One, which was a huge deal at the time.
1: It was. I think we've talked about that before.
0: Probably have, yeah. And the top soundtrack at number 35 that week was the soundtrack to Charlie's Angels, Sure, why not? Um, The album, though, hung around the top 40 for over a year until it finally hit number one, March 23rd, 2002. Okay. Yeah. And then after two weeks at number one, it was bumped down to number three by, I'm not kidding, number one. Now that's what I called music volume nine. Oh, yikes. And R. Kelly and Jay Z's Best of Both Worlds. Oh, boy. Just shameful. Uh so in total O Brother hung around the Billboard 200 for 102 straight weeks.
1: That's amazing.
0: Nearly 2 entire years. It fell off the charts December 21st, 2002. Uh the number 1 album that week was Shania Twain's Up. And the top soundtrack at number 5 was the soundtrack to 8 Mile.
1: Okay, those are two very different albums.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like diametric like genres even. But what's interesting to note about this is that for most of its run on the charts the Brother soundtrack was it mostly hung around the top 20 like it stayed relatively popular for a long time mm-hmm. and i think that's got a lot to do with like the way the movie was released it was only in like maybe a thousand theaters nationwide over the course of like the first 6 months of the year 2001 and it was it was always popular it was always in the top 10 at the movies it was always in the top 20 on the album charts and I would argue the thing that pushed it over the top was nine/ eleven.:
1: That's fair because there, it's very comforting, it's very old-timey and old-fashioned without having that aggressiveness that we were seeing in other country music. I'm blaming you, Toby Keith.:
0: Yeah, exactly.,
1: um, but there was an innocence mm-hmm. to it. And also, I think so many of us felt that constant sorrow.
0: Right, so. and and I think just in general, it it was something that was just like purely American at a time mm-hmm. when like our turbo patriotism was just in overdrive.
1: I I like that description as purely American because again, it's not in like a jingoistic sense.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's, but it's it's you know, everyone always a, talks about like jazz and bluegrass as these like purely American art forms, and this album really like zeroes in on a lot of
1: that and celebrates them in a way that feels grounded and authentic
0: Mm -hmm. and the other x factor in all this which is something i just kind of learned about today was the accompanying concert film called down from the mountain which came out in july of 2001 and it featured all the artists performing their songs from the album you know in concert Hmm. and that on its own made it as high as 105 on the charts so even that like when that comes out you can see that uh the movie soundtrack gets another bump you know boost in uh Uh, album sales
1: was that theatrically released was that on PBS where would one have seen this
0: I I believe it was theatrically released but I'm not 100% on that because it was I mean it was an official like D.A. Pennebaker like documentary film it would have been a big event
1: I'd I'd be interested to see where this fell is like people who saw it in theaters versus DVD because I'm pretty sure I first saw it on DVD Mm -hmm. but I don't remember where I do know that when my family got a DVD player. I bought this for my ex stepdad because I didn't want the first DVD. He had to be like the matrix.
0: <laughs> that I sounds think... like an extremely Livy thing to do.
1: Yes. Cause I figured like, cause that's what he would rent. So I wanted to knock that off at the pass.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I get that.
1: And I think my copy of the soundtrack is one I stole from him.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Well, fair enough. (laughs) Um,
1: But he loved it. The whole family did. It's and you can watch it with your family. Like it's a really, it's a good film. Oh yeah, it's 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 not like
0: it's not overly aggressive like a lot of their films are. You know, it's one you can definitely watch with your parents and grandparents, and everyone has a good time. And it goes to some dark places, but it never does it out of a spirit of meanness.
1: Mm -hmm. It does it out of a, a spirit of like this is this is what. American life is like you know, it's very is, honest
0: it's kind of how it was and arguably kind of how it still is yeah. unfortunately <laughs> uh, but uh, going back to down from the mountain if you want to watch it the whole thing's on YouTube well worth a watch uh, so then uh, Man of Constant Sorrow was released as a single it got as high as 35 on the billboard hot country charts that single itself went platinum the album as a whole went platinum eight times it sold 8 million copies <laughs> of uh, the film was nominated for two academy awards uh adapted screenplay and cinematography it lost both of them it was nominated for four grammy awards and it won all of them Jeez. It was nominated for the for album of the year first of all and it won that
1: Well everyone with 8 million copies sold it was the album of the year everyone had it
0: Yeah I mean it beat out U2's All You Can't Leave Behind and Outkast's Stankonia Okay so, well those
1: aren't very good albums
0: Apparently not <laughs>
1: Which you can't leave behind is not a great album.
0: As far as you two albums go, it's okay. I mean, it also beat Bob Dylan and India Ari, so whatever. I'm with that. Okay, and then it won best soundtrack album, beating out uh, The Sopranos, Bridget oh. Jones's Diary, Moulin Rouge, and Shrek.
1: Oh well, thank God. We'll take out Moulin Rouge and Shrek in one fell swoop.
0: You didn't think we were going to talk about Shrek tonight, but here we are, folks.
1: We're talking about Shrek.
0: Again. And we will
1: never do Mulan Rouge, so help me God, no. we will, I will not watch Mulan Rouge again.
0: I will, I'm an adult woman. I don't have to do that. I will burn this podcast to the ground and pee-pee on the ashes. <laughs> it also won two other Grammys for uh, Ralph Stanley's performance of "O oh Death, which won Best Male Country Vocal. And then Manicot Sorrow won Best Country Collaboration. So did very well for itself at the Oscars. It at, did. at the Grammys, excuse me. Yes. All right. So all of that said, let's jump straight into the film. And we get two songs right away, right up front. Uh, so Libby, you want to take it away?
1: Okay. Well, we start with Poe Lazarus. Mm-hmm. Um, which shows the chain gang as they're breaking rocks. Uh, definitely setting us up for what this film is going to look, feel, and sound like. Yes. Um, let's go to a clip. I said, well, still the want you go out
0: and make me love or bring him down
1: This tune is considered traditional, meaning uh, it's one that has been passed down and we don't have an author. Right. Um, this recording in 1959 by uh, Alan Lomax, who's going to be very, very important in this soundtrack, uh, is credited to James Carter and the Prisoners. Now, the history of this piece is fascinating. In 1959, Carter was a prisoner at can't be of parchment farms in Mississippi State Penitentiary. And ethnomusicologist Alan Lomax and folk singer Shirley Collins recorded him leading a bunch of these prisoners in this ballad uh while they were chopping logs in time to the music. Mm-hmm. So it's recording And a photograph of the prisoners in striped uniforms was issued on volume nine bad man ballads in his 1959 Southern Journey record series on Atlantic Records. Honestly, we could do an entire podcast on Lomax's work. Because what he accomplished as an ethnomusicologist and curator of American folklore is unreal. And this album really wouldn't exist without him. So... When T-Bone Burnett got around to licensing this recording, uh, Lomax's daughter, Anna, who was director of licensing for the archive, hoped that they could find Carter and give him royalties. They hired a PI. They got a journalist on board. And they looked through all these archives of the penal system, of social security roles, of everything, until they tracked him down to Chicago, where his wife, Rosie Lee, was a minister of the Holy Temple Church of God.
0: Oh, my God. <laughs>
1: He did not remember recording this song. He had been in and out of jails uh, for a long time as a young man. So they gave him a royalty check for like $20,000 and told him that this album was outselling Michael Jackson and Mariah Carey. Again, 8 million copies sold.
0: Which in 2000 was absolutely true.
1: The story goes that he went outside, rolled a cigarette, came back in, and said, "You tell Michael that I'll slow down so he can catch up with me."
0: <laughs> That's wonderful.
1: Actually, was in attendance for the Grammy Awards, and uh, he didn't he didn't perform, but um, he uh, he was there for to see them win these Grammys. Um, the other prisoners were never identified, and he died in two thousand three at the age of seventy seven. Mm. So shortly after this, he did pass. But imagine yeah, something you don't even remember doing recorded at one of the worst times in your life. And yeah. somebody hands you a check for $20,000 from a movie that George Clooney did and says, oh yeah, you're beating Michael Jackson and Mariah Carey. What a wonderful legacy for this man.
0: Yeah, that's that's like the cherry on top of, of a, a life well lived, I guess.
1: Yes. <laughs> um, and this is, at least for me, one of those pieces that while it's deeply affecting and has such an importance to the film mm-hmm. to how the film feels and sounds, it's not one that I really like Listen to outside of the context of the story.
0: Um, no, I, I agree. Yeah. It's, it, you definitely feel like the weight of history when you hear this song and and the, the movie kind of uses it that way too like it slowly opens on this chain gang breaking rocks on a an open road and you kind of realize like oh this is kind of how this is kind of how the american south was built was on like it's like basically slave labor
1: well slave For, labor and when they were done with slave labor <laughs> prison labor yeah to so the them it's thing. all
0: the same yeah yeah so and and that ki- that kind of It doesn't hang over the film, but it definitely pops up in really weird places.
1: It does. And I'm so glad that Lomax preserved so much of this music, which Mm -hmm. even in this sort of performed state as they're chopping logs rhythmically, it's so vital to understanding how we understand and interpret music being so much more than what we listen to on the radio. Like the music for so long was a way of life, of communicating, of surviving the day. Yeah. And that is amazing. And you that weight, as you said, is, is ha- lays heavy on the film and seeps through it.
0: And if anything, that's sort of, that's what the film is most kind of Im- important for doing is helping, you know, sort of uh, foster that, like, music history and preserve yeah. it and, and keep it, you know, keep it going and keep it in the public consciousness. Because yeah. especially in, like, the internet age, when, like, who's listening to old, you know, old chain gang dirges from 1939 aside from tiktok tiktok doesn't count (laughs) you know (laughs) like normal people don't listen to this every day
1: but to make it sort of acceptable pop music right the eight million people have a copy of this in their home is
0: kind of incredible it's kind of incredible
1: it really is um but then this fades to our old-timey title card and we hear Harry McClintock's recording, 1928 recording of Big Rock Candy Mountain, uh, which is set to a montage of our three prisoners escaping.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They are George Clooney as Everett, John Totoro as Pete, and Tim Blake Nelson as Delmar. So let's, let's go to a clip of Big Rock Candy Mountain. In the Big Rock Candy Mountains There's a land that's fair and bright where the handouts grow on bushes, and you sleep out every night. Where the boxcars all are empty, and the sun shines every day. On the birds and the bees and the cigarette trees, the lemonade springs where the bluebird sings in the- Now, you probably sang this song in uh, camp, right?
0: <laughs> uh, sure, yeah. If I had gone to camp, I probably would have sung this, yeah.
1: this at school, or in your little school songbook
0: yeah i definitely remember it there for sure like right next um, to like uh, uh oh Susanna and songs like that yeah
1: Um uh, did you guys use this verse um the punk rolled up his big blue eyes and said to the jockey jocker sandy i've hiked and hiked and wandered too but i ain't seen any candy i've hiked and hiked till my feet are sore and i'll be damned if i hike anymore to be buggered sore like a hobo's whore in the big rock candy mountains.
0: <laughs> no. Did, did you guys do like that, that verse? Not at all, no. Okay.
1: <laughs> that is one of McClintock's early verses, uh, which dates back to the 1890s. Wow. So there are lots of variations on this song. Um
0: A lot like Roger Miller's King of the Road. This is kind of one of those sort of like weird traveling hobo songs that's just kind of become American classic, almost despite itself.
1: Yes. And actually, um, around in the 20s, and again, probably around the Depression, uh, hobo songs were a big thing. Oh, Because yeah. he drew inspirations from songs including Hobo's Paradise, Hobo Heaven, Sweet Potato Mountains, and Little Streams of Whiskey. So,
0: And he kind of works all those into the song in one way or another.
1: Yes. Now, again, to emphasize the cultural legacy of this film, Natalie Maines of The Chicks sings this on an episode of The Simpsons titled Gal of Constant Sorrow. (laughs) Wow. Yes. This film has such a lasting impact on on just culture.
0: It, It dug its hooks deep in some really weird ways.
1: It did. Now, this is one of those songs I can't say that I like or dislike. And I think... In the sense, because it's a novelty song, and right. I don't go around just like listening to novelty songs, but I do remember singing uh, the sort of cleaner version that we all know mm-hmm. um, at at camp. It definitely got sort of a facelift in the '60s during sort of the folk and blues revivals. Uh, I know Lisa Loeb has recorded a version of it, but it's it's a very popular kind of classic folk tune,
0: right? Now, I mean, you want to talk about novelty songs. I've got I've got a version of this for you. Oh boy. In the early and mid 2000s, Burger King hired Darius Rucker to record a new version of this song. Oh. All about their then new sandwich called the Tender Crisp Bacon Cheddar Ranch. I hate it. And I'm going to play a clip of it here because I think it's hysterical.
1: Oh. <laughs>
0: Love the tender, crisp bacon cheddar ranch, the best they grow on trees, and streams of bacon ranch dressing flow right up to your knees. There's tumbleweeds of bacon, and cheddar paves the streets. Folks don't front you because you got the juice. There's a train of ladies coming with a nice caboose. Never get in trouble, never need an excuse. That's the tender, crisp bacon cheddar ranch. What, an, what a weird, inscrutable time we lived in.
1: They were a truly bizarre time. Like, the 90s, you could take different little pieces of and sort of explain sections. Right. But to explain the culture... Of the early aughts is impossible because it was like, oh, we were all terrified of a looming war Mm -hmm. and terrorism. But we were also like partying with Paris Hilton and wearing trucker hats. Yeah. And Darius Rucker was singing about a sandwich.
0: I mean, 2001, all of it just really scrambled all of our brains.
1: Yes, and we haven't, re- haven't yet
0: recovered from it.
1: No. But I had blocked that Darius Rucker thing. <laughs> I had blocked that. Because I know I saw it. But I really had to like mentally decided Like, nope, I'm jettisoning that. I'm jettisoning that. And then you, <laughs> you reawoke it.
0: And I'm I don't sorry, know why I, you did that. I unlocked a... a, a uh... Repressed a memory, and I'm sorry.
1: You have, and the video for it is like, like really racy. It's sort of like, okay, Carl's Jr., you're not the only one that can objectify women to sell fast food.
0: Oh no, no, here's here's Brooke Burke and and the Burger King here to tantalize you with a chicken sandwich. Like what?
1: Like shaking butts? Not like oh, obviously, like women have butts, but like there's like a rump shaker.
0: Yeah, it's it's crazy, and all. All I can say in, in its benefit is the the one line where he says, "Folks don't front you because you got the juice." I don't know what that means, but it sounds like a threat.
1: Curious Rucker, like, excuse me,
0: like, oh, what no, did Hootie. you just say to me? Hootie's gonna talk to me about fronting right now. Okay, I see how it is. That, that that's what this song has kind of done to people. <laughs>
1: Yes, but again, I don't. It's already
0: such a weird fantasy, but then, like, you can take that fantasy and just extrapolate it in really strange directions.
1: Yes. Oh, boy. Uh, During this, obviously, we've got our escape, and the three of them are chained together,
0: which causes a
1: problem because as they board this train with these other hobos, Ulysses is explaining, oh, well, you know, we're trying to, you know, uh, Break free or any of you versed in the, you know, the
0: metallurgic arts, the
1: metallurgical arts <laughs> and Pete not being able to keep up falls, pulls all three of them down. And
0: they have this huge fight over who should be the leader of the outfit and
1: who elected you leader of this outfit. Well, Pete, I figured it should be the one with the capacity for abstract thought. But if that ain't the consensus view, then hell, let's put her to a vote. Suits me. I'm voting for yours truly. Well, I'm voting for yours truly, too. Okay.
0: I'm with you, fellas.
1: Sweet Delmar.
0: But then they meet uh, this blind man on on a railroad push cart who is, I mean, I guess this is where the Coens are trying to figure out how to do Odyssey stuff,
1: because he tells them they're
0: going to go on a great quest, and they're going to seek treasure, but they're not going to find the treasure they're looking for, and... <laughs> I mean, there's really no other way to say it. Like they I kind of accidentally fall into the, the magical Negro stereotype, which is a couple of them. Yeah. Which is not great, but uh, I think in the service of like this being an Odyssey reference. Okay. I guess.
1: Yes. And you do want to have people of color in your film.
0: Oh, of course. I mean, there, so... there are honestly, even, even as many as there are in this, there aren't enough of them.
1: No, agreed. Um, but he corresponds to Tiresias. Yes. In the honesty, he is our blind soothsayer. Mm-hmm. We're off
0: So, on yeah, an adventure. so Then, then they, they go to visit Pete's cousin, his, whose last name is Hogwallop, which is fantastic.
1: Oh, boy. Yeah, Wash Hogwallop.
0: <laughs> wash Hogwallop. <laughs> and his, his son was has been told to shoot anyone who's coming from the bank to repo the house. Yep. Because, as he explains, they got this depression on and everything, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and their house is very depressing there's a horse drinking from a bathtub, and he's just whittling
0: mm-hmm. not- and they're having dinner that night, and they're you know they're talking about the quality of the meat, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I slaughtered this horse last Tuesday
1: mm, delicious oh horse
0: and then they're they're all sitting around the living room afterwards, and they' listening to the radio, and we're introduced to. Who's going to be a very major character going forward It's Governor Papio Daniel on the radio
1: Yes, and his Biscuit Flower Hour
0: Yes, and his his Unofficial theme song is the next song On our soundtrack, it's You Are My Sunshine All oh, my sunshine My only sunshine
1: your mom sing you this when you were a kid?
0: My grandmother sang this to me when I was a kid. Oh. And this was her favorite song. Now, I'll tell you, she didn't sing uh, more than the chorus, because if she had, I would be very confused.
1: Yes. Um, same with my mom, who would sing it to me, and my sister's Ian's mom sang it to him. I
0: think mm-hmm. it's like
1: the official song of moms. Oh, yeah. But listening later, you know, in... in when i was listening to the soundtrack i think if you look like the first verse it sounds like this person has died yes. but listening through the rest of the song you realize she's left him
0: and it's it's ext- it's extremely sad extraordinarily it's bummer, sad
1: it's a real bummer which uh is sort of a hallmark of this era of music uh as we'll see like women are constantly leaving dudes in a lot of these songs
0: it's yeah and it's kind it's of that a running whole, theme it's that whole like depression era idea where uh, you know everything is terrible and either we, we're either gonna sing about how everything's terrible or sing about how uh we shouldn't worry about how everything's terrible
1: Yes, because things will be great in on another plane of existence things will be now, great
0: as soon as we're all dead
1: here's i'm gonna nitpick a little bit go for it this film takes place in 1937 right the earliest recording of this song, which is credited to the Pine Ridge Boys, was in 1939. Oof. But this version. Uh, Missed which it is by credited...
0: that much.
1: Yep. Uh, <laughs> the one that they're listening to, um, the or the version, this is Norman Blake singing. He's a contemporary mm-hmm. artist, but he's singing the version uh, that Jimmy Davis and Charles Mitchell wrote. Wasn't recorded until February
0: 1940. Wow.
1: Yes. Now, a lot of people claim to have written this song, uh, but it's mostly credited to Jimmy Davis or Governor James Davis, as he was later known. He was a two term governor of Louisiana. And after he uh, served his terms, this became the state song of Louisiana. Yeah. Okay.
0: so I I guess that's where they're what they're referencing here, because this is very much like Papio Daniels theme song.
1: Yes. Um, Now, although a Democrat, Davis was deeply racist and a very problematic figure. He opposed efforts to desegregate Louisiana. And in 1927, wrote a master's thesis, which explained this is the title. These are not my words. Um, The intelligence levels of different races. Um, which was titled Comparative Intelligence of Whites, Blacks, and Mulattoes." Oh, my God. Oof. 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 This sweet little lovely song was written by a fucking racist.
0: I feel like that's going to be the tagline for this entire episode going forward. Oh, this sweet little love song was actually written by a huge racist.
1: Oh, no. I'm... Gene Autry sang this in the film Back in the Saddle, which I want you to put a pin in. And Marge Simpson sends a recording of herself singing this to Lisa in The Secret War of Lisa Simpson. So we're going to keep coming back to Alan Lomax and The Simpsons.
0: All all things that are purely American on this podcast. (laughs) I love it. But yeah, yeah. This I'm I'm gonna be honest. This is a tough one for me to even listen to because like I have those deep like associations of my grandmother, and it's like dissociating the song from like what it's actually about. I can can't not think about that.
1: Oh, no, same here. And and I thought I was gonna kind of be the only one, but like when I listen to this, I can hear my mother's voice, and it makes mm, me want to like call yeah. my mom. Yeah. So, uh, which I did. I did text her, uh, but about something unrelated. Um. But it's such it's such a sweet song and it really does. Like it, it just makes us all think of our moms and our grandmas. And that's yep. a good thing.
0: Yeah. And of course, yeah. you know, this is not the last we'll hear of this song in this film.
1: No. By any means. Um, but Wash has called in for the bounty. And Pete points out Pa always said, never trust a hogwaller. <laughs>
0: that's right.
1: Oh, but they're in a tight spot.
0: Ah, damn, they're in a tight spot. And this is when uh, ho- uh, Hogwallop's kid bursts through the barn. The barn's been set on fire, and he comes into the barn with a, with a, an old jalopy and says, get in, boys. We're going to R-U-N-N-O-F-T.
1: Which is what his mother has apparently done. Yes. So they also, Delmar steals a pig.
0: Yeah, of course, of course he does.
1: <laughs> he saves it.
0: He saves the pig. He doesn't steal it because the pig winds up going home with the kid later. Because they immediately steal the car and send the kid back home. Back
1: to his pa. But the car, of course, immediately breaks down.
0: Oh, yeah. But then here's where, you know, we kind of get sort of the ticking clock of the film because we find out that they are going to dam the river on the 21st. Today is the 17th. We got four days to get to the treasure at uh, Everett's childhood home.
1: Well, to his uh, homestead.
0: Right, he's going to his homestead to dig up his family treasure. That's right, and yep. then at you know after four days, that house is going to be at the bottom of a lake. So they've got four days to get to that house and get the treasure.
1: Hold on, I wanted to back up real. Quick. Can we okay. back up a little bit? Back me up. So, but the car is broken down. Okay, as we said, and they cannot get the part for two weeks. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. We learn an interesting little tidbit about about Ulysses or Everett, whichever we want to call him. Um, that he will not use Fop pomade, which is all they have in stock, because he's a Dapper Dan man. Should That's right. he want Dapper Dan, which you could still get, and yeah, I think a it thing. had a, it also had a revitalization after this film mm-hmm. came out. Um, that will also take two weeks, and uh, Everett says, "Well, ain't this place just a geographical oddity? Two weeks from every, two weeks from every place." Uh, right,
0: because the the part that he needs for the car is also two weeks away.
1: You know, I feel that same way and have said that exact quote about Bethel Woods in Bethel, New York, mm-hmm. because I have met friends there from all over the state. And it is two hours from Oneonta. It's two hours from Albany. It's two hours from New York City. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's a geographical oddity. It's two hours from everywhere. <laughs> hours uh, from Binghamton, if, which is if, an if, hour past me already.
0: <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> if, if, I, if only Everett could could live to see uh, today, because you can't order Dapper Dan on Amazon and have it ship, you know, prime delivery to your house next day.
1: Yep. Yes, indeed. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. He could order, he could have a standing order and have a subscription.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> Get that discount, yeah.
1: But, as you said, they've got four days till they the damn burst and he's gonna sell a watch that he stole from pete's kin right pete does yeah. not like that
0: pete is very territorial about his family even after they've tried to turn him in
1: and john totoro is intense
0: he's 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 a lot
1: he's in a this lot. movie he's <laughs> a lot in every movie he is i feel like it he he's he must have been in a star wars right
0: i don't think so
1: i I feel like we need to put John Totoro in a Star Wars.
0: I mean, he would, he, I hate to say this, he would make an excellent, like, Imperial officer.
1: But he's a lot. Just, I don't want to see him go rogue and just, like, punch, I don't know, Obi-Wan in the face or something.
0: <laughs> put him in a Star Wars and not a Batman, damn it. They already did uh, that.
1: But they hear music and they see all these people in white and they are mesmerized and they are all singing down to the river to pray Uh, uh, which on the soundtrack is allison cross let's go to a clip Mm
0: -hmm.
1: as i went down in the river to pray studying about that good old way and who shall wear the starry crown?
0: Let's go down,
1: let's go down, come on down Oh fathers let's go down down in the river to pray You may remember her from moments like this from the Twister soundtrack because we are in the middle of the uh, the Allison Cross Renaissance.
0: That's right. Cross yeah. the Renaissance And also uh, this is uh, this is a year or two before she will have to sing songs with Adam Sandler in Eight Crazy Nights.
1: I blocked that from the last time you told me about it.
0: Yep. You see, you're going to forget it in a week anyway, so don't worry about it.
1: Thank God. Um...
0: (laughs) I'm sorry. I have to keep bringing it up, but I have to keep bringing it up. I
1: know. You have to. You have to. You have to do it. Uh, The earliest version of this titled The Good Old Way was published in Slave Songs of the United States in 1867. Mm hmm. And spirituals are beginning to gain in popularity I think now that we could no longer have people as property. So right. Like, oh, that's whimsical. Oh, um wow. Arlo Guthrie has sung it. Mhm. Uh but so has Michael W. Smith and that guy's going to hell so it's a very very classic spiritual. Wow. And its her version is lovely. It's gorgeous.
0: And she I know she also I see she also has done a version of this with Doc Watson, who, at least in my neck of the woods, is like is a very big deal.
1: Mm -hmm. I'll bet.
0: Yeah. I mean, he uh, he, he, before he passed, he 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 had an annual bluegrass festival in my hometown, Wilkesboro, called Merle Fest every year. And so every year, like bluegrass artists and country artists would come down and and it would always be a huge event. Have I told my uh, Hootie and the Blowfish story on the podcast before?
1: I don't know if you have.
0: Because so one year, I think this was 98 or 97, Hootie and the Blowfish came to town for Merlefest. And the rumor was they were going to visit a local middle school and and put on a show. And this was like, you know, right at my peak, like, oh my God, I love Hootie and the Blowfish because I'm 12 and I don't know any better. (laughs) So I'm really excited for this. And so the day comes and they put us into the... Uh, the gym for the assembly and we're ready. And the curtains part and it's Bella Fleck in the Fleck tones. And we found out that Hootie had gone to another school, you know, 10 minutes down the road.
1: Oh. <laughs> and the, I love Bella Fleck, but 12 year olds do not love Bella Fleck.
0: No. And like n- thinking back on it now and knowing more about him now, like, yeah, that was, that was great. And I didn't appreciate it in the, at the time. <laughs>
1: But, but, I mean, I could see not a, cause like my stepdad listened to Bella Fleck and I'm like, what is this noise?
0: Yeah, it's primus for country nerds.
1: It is. That's a really good way of describing it. And I grew up listening to a lot of bluegrass just because my, uh, my neighbors were a very musical family. Mm-hmm. Um, they were actually, uh, one of them, John MacGyver, is, um, is an actor he's been on 30 Rock. He was in Lincoln. Um, but the MacGyver, MacGyver clan, no, he was not a MacGyver. <laughs> okay. uh, but the MacGyver clan, they were all very, very musical and played a lot of bluegrass and and old country tunes and would just like sit around the fire in the backyard and play. So I grew up kind of immersed in this because I played with all their kids. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, but even I like if no, that's I much prefer. Darius Rucker and, yeah. and Hootie and the Blowfish in the nineties.
0: Yeah oh boy. So oh, to, to end the story real quick, at the end of this concert, Bella Fleck comes out with a giant novelty check to my school, courtesy of VH1's behind the music. And that was the day that I learned my school was poor.
1: Wow, but you actually got <laughs> the behind the music, like well, we got that's... the behind
0: the music money, but like at what cost? <laughs> I I, oh. I flat refused to go to that uh, Merle Fest to see Hootie uh, just on principle that year.
1: Darius Record needs to come on this podcast and perform for us.
0: I know he to needs make to play his chicken it. sandwich song to make up for
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> sure, I'm at uh, Brewery Oma Gang a little while ago, but like as Darius Rucker, like without Hootie or the Blowfish. Oh,
0: okay, so everyone shouted, "Play Wagon Wheel."
1: I don't know I didn't go. I was oh, like, okay. well he's not gonna play I only want to be with you, so I'm not going.
0: Yeah, so what's the point?
1: Exactly. And Maybe he did. I never looked at the Samaritz, but so back
0: back to down to the river to pray. Uh so I like you said, this was uh released as uh a, an old uh African American spiritual. And you can definitely, and I think uh it's been kind of interpreted that this was a, a slave song to show slaves how to escape and make their way north Ooh, i love that because they you know they they uh go down to the river to pray because that's you know you that's how you get the the dogs off your scent and then you follow the starry crown kind of follow the north star go north and so that's that's i don't really know how to say that's interesting without sounding just trite and dumb but like it really is it's fascinating and, and it's it's the- it's you know unfortunate and, and shameful that we have to have songs like that but that's fascinating.
1: We're preserving them, unfortunately, by having them performed by white artists. But well, yeah. But still, um, that these songs have been preserved. And I find, especially with this kind of soundtrack, when you see traditional, it means stolen from black people.
0: <laughs> Basically, yes. Yes. That, that, too, is extremely unfortunate.
1: Sweet Delmar. He wants all his sins washed away. So he, like, cut, he cuts in line, which sends you directly to hell, I'm afraid.
0: Everyone, everyone's welcome here. It, yes, it doesn't matter.
1: You can't cut in line. The preacher said all my sins is washed away,
0: including that Piggly Wiggly I knocked over in Yazoo. I thought you said you was innocent of in those charges. Well, I was lying. And the preacher said that that sin's been washed away, too.
1: The fact that you guys have a grocery store chain called Piggly Wiggly will never not amuse me.
0: I yeah, like when I was in college, I, we didn't have Piggly Wiggly's here in town, so when I was in college and I found out there was a Piggly Wiggly near campus, I had to go.
1: You're just never going to get over the fact that it's called Piggly Wiggly.
0: And then I went in and it was like the dumpiest grocery store I'd ever seen. I was like, "All right, I'm done with this." <laughs> Piggly Wiggly's are I mean, I'm sure there are Piggly Wiggly's that are that are perfectly nice, but this one was not. No.
1: Oh no, and- On... But meanwhile, we've got the sheriff, and he has found the dapper Dan can,
0: yes, and the sheriff is played by oh the sheriff's played by Daniel von Bargen, who was um he was on Seinfeld, he was George's boss on Seinfeld, and uh he's Very one of those weird voice. character actors in the nineties who like you're always pleased to see, but here he's he's basically and then almost later literally playing the devil
1: because we find out um what the devil looks like from tommy johnson who they pick up at the crossroads he has sold his soul to the devil to play the guitar
0: obviously Uh, a a reference to to robert johnson who did that exact very very thing
1: yes Uh, um but also um tommy johnson was a, a musician who also sold his soul
0: oh really i didn't know that well then i take that back
1: Tommy Johnson just sold his soul first. And I guess uh, the devil thought, well, there's, you know, there's souls to be collected here and then went after Robert Johnson's a few years later. Right.
0: So, yeah, I mean, one became an urban legend and then one became a character in a Coen Brothers movie.
1: Um, Tommy Johnson is played by Chris Thomas King, we're going to talk about it in a little bit. Yes. Um, but just speaking of Crossroads, um, we could do the film Crossroads at some point, which stars Ralph Macchio as someone who also wants to sell his soul to the devil to learn how to play
0: guitar. You know, when you said Crossroads to me earlier, I kind of assumed you were talking about the Britney Spears movie. (laughs) What is wrong with me? And you even said, like, there was a Karate Kid connection. You even said that, and it didn't occur to me that that's what you were talking about. (laughs)
1: I'm a musician. He's a karate person.
0: <laughs> I bet he ain't even old timey.
1: But th- he points out that the devil does not look like we think. I've always wondered what's the devil look like. Well, of course they're all manner of lesser imps and demons, Pete. But the great Satan himself is red and scaly with a bifurcated tail. He carries
0: a hayfork. Oh no, no, sir, he's white. As Why as you folks with empty eyes and a big hollow of voice. He looked trapped around with a mean old hound. Right.
1: He tells them that there's a place where you can sing into a can and they pay you money. And thus right. the soggy bottom boys are born.
0: And it only occurred to me on this watch that they're called the soggy bottom boys because they just got baptized and they're wet. They're all wet. Same on
1: them. here. Like they're <laughs> damp. Here the first version we're going to get of 3 plus 2 instrumentals of mm-hmm. Man of Constant Sorrow. Let's go to a clip. This is the radio station. I am a
0: man of constant sorrow I've seen trouble Now, this is not George Clooney singing.
1: No, it's not. George Clooney tried. He tried his damnedest. And being the nephew of Rosemary Clooney, you would think the man could carry a tune. But of course, you can't have good looks and charm and charisma and be George Clooney and have it all.
0: Yeah, so, something's got to give.
1: Yes. And that was his voice. So they brought in blue gla- bluegrass legend Dan Taminsky with Harley Allen and Pete Enright singing Pete and Dahmer's parts. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if this is true, but uh, Ian's college roommate said that he was related, I believe, to Dan Tominsky.
0: Oh, wow. Ian said that
1: he seemed to remember him saying that he was related to the man who dubbed George Clooney's voice. Oh. Um, I can't. I have nothing to back that up with. It is a just a something that Ian told me, his roommate Marcus. Um, okay. So, Marcus, if you're listening, uh, please confirm or deny.
0: (laughs) Now, I I do know that as far as the Coen brothers are concerned, this song had been brought up as early as the Big Lebowski. Because t and Burnett wanted to use it in that film as the dude's theme. And for whatever reason, for obvious reasons, I guess, it just didn't pan out. Like, that just didn't make sense. But he hung on to it because he knew he had something here. And I get the sense that... They pretty much wrote this entire movie around this song just as an excuse to use the song.
1: That would not surprise me. Now, this song goes all the way back to 1913 with the title Farewell Song in a six-song songbook by Dick Burnett. Although elements of it can be traced as far back to the 1850s in Appalachian folk songs. Now, this one is based around the Stanley Brothers version. Yes. Uh,
0: and in in down from the mountain, the first thing you hear is Ralph Stanley singing this song. Oh, cool! Yeah.
1: Now Alan Lomax, our good friend, recorded uh, Sarah Agan Gunning's performance of "I Am a Girl of Constant Sorrow." The gender was switched a lot. Um, a lot of people recorded this song, and they would sing "man" or "girl." Um, yeah, it works and, either way.
0: I- I'm okay yeah. with that.
1: Yeah. And uh, that was recorded for the Library of Congress's Archive of American Folk Song. Other notable recordings include Bob Dylan, Joan Baez, Judy Collins, The Grateful Dead, Rod Stewart, Peter, Paul, and Mary, and Dwight Yoakam.
0: Wow. Like I said,
1: everybody has recorded this. This is about as standard as you can get.
0: I guess my next question is how many of those recordings came after Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?
1: Um, No, these all pre, like. This is one of the later recordings.
0: So this, this, this movie basically like put the stamp on it and said, no, we're done with this.
1: And we are done. This is the one. singing. <laughs> I take that back. Dwight Yoakam's was in 2015. Charm City Devils released a version of it in 2012. Uh, Blitz and Trapper covered it for Fargo, the show. Okay. Home Free covered it in 2018. And um, it's also used in the sitcom We Are Lady Parts in 2021.
0: Okay, so I guess really what it was, was uh, this movie had such an impact that no one really wanted to touch it for 15 years or so.
1: Well, somebody called Ski Whiff, uh remixed it. It ranked 96 on the Triple J Hottest 100 in oh, 2003.
0: God. Okay, I fine. Whatever.
1: Okay, fine. We have the definitive version. It's Skiwiff.
0: I mean, the one thing the song was missing was a, a breakbeat. So, okay.
1: The man who runs the radio station is Mr. Lund. He mm-hmm. corresponds to Homer, and he is played by National Treasure Stephen Root.
0: Uh, yes, absolutely. Bill of himself.
1: He tells them that uh, he'll give them $10 each for their recording. Um, but uh, Everett tells them only four of them can write, so the others will have to just uh sign their name with an x
0: <laughs> brilliant
1: <laughs> so as they're leaving with their uh their sixty bucks, they see uh Pappy, the governor uh who call and they say, you know if you go in there and sing it to a tin can, you get ten bucks, <laughs> and he calls them a bunch of dump
0: crackers yeah.
1: Um, And even though his campaign aides And his very Large adult son uh, Tell him he should press the flesh With his his constituents He's like nope I got mass communication So you think about how Radio is a Fairly new Invention still at this point And using it To reach all people Is you know just Pappy has a, a command of of what the people need,
0: yeah. He 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 knows how to. Oh God, I don't even want to say it. <laughs> he knows how to use, you know, uh, social media to his to meet his his needs.
1: The social media of the time, yes, the radio, yeah, yeah. And now, um, we we have a lot of scenes where they're sitting around the campfire. This this film is very episodic in that way.
0: Yes, um, and a lot a lot of the the downtime is spent. Uh, where there are, yeah, they're around a campfire or they're they're traveling and we get sort of uh, instrumental interludes. Uh, one of them here as they're around the campfire, Tommy is playing a song called Hard Time Killing Floor Blues.
1: hmm
0: Which, uh, do you want to go to a clip of that now? Yeah. Okay, let's do it. And the people are drifting do-do-do. Can't find no heaven I don't care where Mm-hmm. 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 Say now, this
1: sure. piece is by Skip James, and this was actually the B-side to his song Cherry Ball Blues in 1931 and so that's one of the things going back to mr lund when he's talking about people love that old-fashioned music none of this was old-fashioned at the time these are fairly contemporary songs that they're singing right this isn't old-timey music this is what is on the radio or in the case of you are my sunshine
0: pulled from the future (laughs) basically so like later later in the film when a character accuses them of not being old-timey i really don't know what that means because
1: they're time travelers,
0: <laughs> apparently.
1: Um, but this uh, Skip James had sort of a future as a recording artist, and then the depression hit and it hit him hard. So he gave up basically until the 1960s blues revival. Um, when blues enthusiasts, uh, John Fay, Bill Barth, and Henry Vestine found him in a hospital in Mississippi. And they sort of, uh, you know, revived his sound. And he ended up recording and playing until his death nine years later. Now, this version is played live during filming by uh, Chris Thomas King. Mm -hmm. So this is a live take. You want to talk about someone who's bona fide? Chris Thomas King is bona fide. He's the son of blues musician Tabby Thomas, and he is the pioneer of rap blues fusion, conceiving the first sample-based blues concept album, 21st Century Blues from the Hood.
0: It it never occurred to me that this man was an actual musician, and I guess I should have known, but that that just makes me want to go and find this music.
1: I'm sort of fascinated. I don't know if it's for me, but again, kind of a neat little piece of music history
0: right yeah
1: yeah so he is definitely bona fide
0: i guess you could call it like a a precursor to a lot of the the hip-hop and country blending that's going on right now because like that's kind of a thing and most people aren't don't know how to feel about it but it started i guess with him
1: yeah so uh lil nas x owes him a little bit of a debt yeah really so Unfortunately, the sheriff busts up their little party um, in which they're all talking about what they're going to do with their share of the money. Um, and they split from Tommy.
0: Tommy splits from them.
1: Yeah. And fair.
0: Rightfully so, because I all of a sudden, to. as far as he's concerned, the devil shows up.
1: But they catch a lift from George Nelson.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All, uh, he's, he's he's trying to get to to Itabina to rob a bank because he's trying yeah. to break the world record.
1: And that's uh, Michael Badaluco mm-hmm uh from the sopranos um he this dude is manic as hell
0: this dude is wild
1: <laughs> yes um he catches some of, uh delmar is catching some of the money because his folding money is has come unstold
0: <laughs> yeah
1: um he shoots a couple cows because <sighs> he hates cows it's like okay you're a monster
0: I know for a fact, like when this this movie airs on TV, that's like one of the shots they edit out because like nobody wants to see that.
1: Yeah, that's unnecessary. Yeah. Um But during the bank robbery, someone makes the mistake of calling him by the name we all know him as.
0: Babyface, babyface Nelson. George Nelson! Not babyface! You remember, and you tell your friends, I'm George Nelson! Born to raise hell.
1: And that bums him out. And at another campfire scene, he just wanders off.
0: Right. And he, he's dumping all of his money. And uh, Everett rightly rightly observes, like, I don't think this is the last we'll see of Babyface Nelson.
1: No. Um, but we get our next song. Yeah. Which is attributed to the White's. But this is Keep on the Sunny Side. Let's go to a clip. Keep on the sunny
0: side, always on the sunny side. Keep on the sunny side of life. It will help us every day. It will brighten all the way. we will keep on the
1: sunny side of life. Now, this one was written in 1899 by Oof. Ada Blankenhorn After she was inspired by her nephew, who uh used a wheelchair and he always wanted it pushed down the sunny side of the street. Oh uh, yeah. So very sweet. Uh, the Carter family recorded it in 1928, and it was so much their sort of theme song that A.P. Carter's tombstone had a gold record of the song embedded in it. Wow. Which is diesel as hell. Um N-
0: now when you Carter- say the Carter family, you mean like June Carter, right?
1: No. Going even further back.
0: Oh, June wow. Carter
1: was this in the second iteration. Her mom was one of the original.
0: Okay, but wow. it's definitely that family.
1: It's that family.
0: Okay, okay.
1: Um, now, they recorded a version on their 1964 album um, and that included vocalist Johnny Cash who was June's husband of course okay, and that was the is. niece. Um, Johnny Cash recorded a Cover of it in 1974, um, accompanied by his wife and uh, their daughters. And she also recorded a version for her final solo album, Wild Wildwood Flower, which came out in 2003 mm. uh, posthumously. But again, right on the heels of the success of this song. Now, right. so, I'm um, now the whites are a family bluegrass act. Uh, Sharon White, who's kind of the matriarch of it, is married to uh, country singer Ricky Skaggs, and I'm fascinated by, like, these family acts. Like, that's something you really see in con- in Bluegrass, specifically.
0: Yeah, like, uh, when I was a kid and I was kind of forced at gunpoint to watch, you know, the Grand Ole Opry, there were tons of, like, you could name all so many families, you know, the... Uh, the Statler brothers and the the Carter family, just so many, so, so many.
1: And it, it fascinates me. Like, what is it about, uh, that we don't see that in other genres. What is it about bluegrass where, and is it because of the number of instruments and the harmonies, you got to have multiple people and a family's just a built-in band. Maybe
0: so, maybe it's like a, a phenomenon where like all these isolated families up in the hills, just that that's all they had to do and... You know, some families were be- got better at it than others, and those are the ones that made it big. I really don't know.
1: When you think of uh, country artists like Justin Towns Earl.
0: Yeah. Uh, playing yeah. with his dad. Yeah, um, that's really cool.
1: We have two songs playing on the radio that we'll hear as well later on, but since since we're here, um, we hear I'll Fly Away, performed by Allison Krauss and Jillian uh, Welsh. hmm
0: Let's go to a clip.
1: I'll fly away, oh glory. I'll fly away in the morning. When I die, hallelujah, by and by. I'll fly away. Oh, those are gorgeous harmonies, aren't they?
0: This is lovely. This is really lovely.
1: Gorgeous. Um, Now, this one... Uh, if you've ever attended church, you may have heard. It's a classic hymn written mm-hmm. in 1929 by Albert E. Brumley. Um, and again, everyone has recorded this. Uh, Bob Marley recorded a reggae version of this. And John oh. Legend recorded it for Kanye West's The College Dropout. And even in 1997, our friend Puff Daddy, shortly before threatening to fight Godzilla, was Uh, sued after he illegally sampled it for I'll Be Missing You. (laughs) He settled for an undisclosed amount.
0: (laughs) The police wasn't enough, was it?
1: Nope. On on a kind of personal note, there was a man in my church, Norm Anderson, uh, who I was very, very good friends with. And he used to play the lap harp. And this was one of his favorite songs to play. Sometimes he would sing it along. Sometimes he would just play it. But... um. He died in 2020. Oh. And uh, that Sunday, we played a recording of him playing this song.
0: Oh, that's, that's sweet.
1: And they had a video of him doing it. So I always think of Norm when I hear this song. This is a great song.
0: Yeah, this is. This is another one of those songs where, like, it's the era in which it's being performed is very telling because, again, it's the depression. Everything is very. Times are hard for everybody and you either sing about how terrible it is or how, you know, one of these days you'll escape all of it. And this is this is very much the latter.
1: Yes. And that, that your reward is waiting for you if you can just endure. Yes. Um, We've got a little bit of a montage here, but we find out that they want to find the Soggy Bottom Boys and sign them to a big fat contract. Right. Because their album is lighting up the charts. they
0: playing it as far away as Mobile.
1: Yeah, Um, and actually Jillian Welsh comes into a store and asks if they have the record of Man of Constant Sorrow, but they just can't keep it in stock.
0: Mm. Now, At this point, there's uh, a a newspaper headline that says, the Soggy Bottom Boys are a sensation, but who are they?
1: I was trying to figure out how much a record would cost, and the closest I could find was 1921, a record would cost between 85 cents and $1.25. And that's according to at Vinyl Mint's write-up on the history of the recording industry, which uh, at that time would translate to between 14 and $20.
0: That sounds about right, actually.
1: That's about what you would pay for a record uh, that's, nowadays. That's what I paid for
0: a vinyl record literally today.
1: <laughs> What'd you buy?
0: Uh, Murmur by R.E.M.
1: Ooh, nice. Mm-hmm.
0: I decided I I'm going to start building out my R.E.M. catalog.
1: Very, very nice. Mm. Um, there are the typical montage shenanigans, charades, hitchhiking, some Dapper Dan, a car theft, you know,
0: I, I, definitely, I love the bit where they steal an apple pie off a windowsill. And because Delmar's been saved and he's trying to stay that way, he pays for it with a dollar under a rock.
1: That counts. Yeah, that
0: counts. He, he paid so, for his food.
1: Somewhere along the line, Delmar has acquired a banjo. But why listen to that? When you can listen to Emmylou Harris, Allison Krauss, and Jillian Welsh,
0: no arguments here.
1: They are singing "Didn't Leave Nobody But the Baby." Let's go to a clip. Don't you weep, pretty baby. Don't you weep, pretty babe. She's long gone with the red shoes on. Gonna need another loving baby. Go to sleep, little baby. Go, Go to sleep, little babe. Go to sleep, little babe. You and me and the devil makes three. Don't it doesn't get any better than this. I think this was why I wanted this soundtrack. I mean, mm-hmm. we all love man of and sorrow, but this one. Who boy. Um, and actually, Gillian Welsh wrote some additional lyrics. This song is uncredited. But um, it was discovered by our good friend Alan Lomax, without whom this soundtrack would not exist.
0: Right. And He's during, the true hero of this. During their performance in uh, Down from the Mountain, I think Allison Krauss says that they that they wrote this specifically for the film. But maybe that's just like this arrangement they're talking about.
1: Yeah, there were additional lyrics written for the film. Right. Um, but this... Whatever pieces there were, and that's one of the things as we're seeing, um, in looking at this soundtrack, is so many of these songs started as one thing and sort of moved to another, and brought in pieces of this song and pieces of that song and new lyrics, and people tinkered with them, which is a real fascinating way to record and build music.
0: Yeah, it's kind of just like you're watching evolution in real time, basically, and it's it's fascinating.
1: Yeah, so this is now the definitive version of this song, but Mm. somebody's great-great-grandmother sang a version of this as a lullaby. Right. But I was also fascinated by what is going on in this song, (laughs) because it's like this woman basically just bounced out. She put on her red shoes, and she is not doing this mama shit. Mm -hmm. She's gone with the red shoes on, and like, respect. Um, but then we bring in the devil like okay wait a second no nobody evoked Satan what's he doing here
0: yeah like okay okay. so mama bounced because something's wrong with dad and now the devil's involved like that's the that's the vibe that I got off of this
1: but the vibe that she was just done she was like I don't want to be pregnant I don't want to be some housewife I'm going to town
0: I mean maybe so yeah
1: and so like all she left was the baby mm-hmm Like, no one's going to break her stride. Um, (laughs) And, but, like, okay. Like, men will invoke the Dark Lord Satan before just stepping up and being a dad.
0: (laughs) Take time to be a dad today.
1: Exactly. She's like, well, mom's not here. Guess I'm going to invoke the devil. (laughs) And get it together. Change a diaper. (laughs)
0: I, I will sell my soul for this baby to stop crying tonight. The devil shows up. It's like you rang.
1: <laughs> but these three women with their wet slips are sirens mm-hmm. classics. Now I feel like if you're not a bird woman, you're appropriating siren culture. <laughs> you know, Pete's the one that really falls falls for it. There's some moonshine in a comical jug. <laughs>
0: A, a, a hoot jug with three X's on it. <laughs> oh, great.
1: And they turn Pete into a toad.
0: Yes, like the next morning, uh, Everett wakes up and Delmar wakes up and Pete, uh, is, Pete is gone, but his clothes are there and a, a toad pops out of his shirt. Can't you see it, Everett? <laughs> Them sirens did this to Pete. They loved him up and turned him into a horny toad.
1: He shouldn't have been Trying to fornicate.
0: He shouldn't have been fornicating.
1: But they, they can't just leave him there, so they pack him up in a shoebox and go to a fancy restaurant. Like you do. Yeah, exactly. You put your toad in a fancy box.
0: And as as Everett is, is trying to explain how, how fancy society works to Delmer, uh, he, get, he attracts the attention of the Cyclops. That's Big Dan Teague, played by your favorite and mine, John Goodman.
1: Yes, our panda bear-shaped icon.
0: <laughs> our panda bear-shaped Cyclops.
1: And he's a Bible salesman.
0: He's a Bible salesman, and he decides to lure them away to a secluded picnic where he will explain how uh, how to sell Bibles. Yes, but, of course, he's just going to beat them up and steal their money.
1: Well, there's a lot of money in the Word of God, which is a very pre-Eli gemstone role.
0: Oh, very much so, Yes.
1: Like the the primordial ooze from which Eli Gemstone
0: crawls. How does how does he put it? Like the word of God at wholesale prices, or something like that.
1: Something like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, just his lesson about the world is don't trust anybody. And he kicks the he beats him up with a tree branch and leaves him. But he also kills Pete. He squishes him with his hand and throws him against the tree. And this, of course, breaks Delmar's heart.
0: It does. It it's genuinely upsetting
1: for Pete than being a toad and being thrown against a tree because Pete has actually been taken by the sheriff and his deputies and is about to be hanged.
0: Yes. And we find out eventually that at the cost of his own life, he has uh, he's ratted on on Everett and Delmer and told them where the treasure is. <sighs> poor, poor Pete.
1: Poor Pete. Um, and they managed to you know, they wake up and in recovering from their injuries, they manage to get another ride hitchhiking and they see Pete on the chain gang. Yeah. So they know that Pete was not actually turned into a toad. Surprise. Surprise. Um, and now uh, Homer Stokes is having a rally. He is Pappy's rival candidate. He's a reformer he, candidate. He is the, uh,
0: the progressive candidate. I guess you could yes. call him. Yes.
1: Yes. I um, mean we get the full live version of uh Keep on the Sunny Side and he's also got a little man as a prop.
0: Right, because his whole thing is he's looking out for the little man.
1: Yes. <sighs> um, this is era appropriate, but it's also upsetting.
0: <laughs> it is. It's I terrible. mean it's it's little more than like a a, a circus sideshow that he's trying to pull here to to garner votes and it's just disgusting. Yes.
1: But that is, that's what it would, what it would be like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and he introduces uh, the Warby Gals mm-hmm. singing In uh, in the Highways, which is by Maybelle Carter, uh, June's mother, one of the original Carters. Um, and this is the Peasall sisters singing. Let's go to a clip. In the high. have a lot on this one. I don't like this at all. I don't like children singing.
0: <laughs> okay, fair enough.
1: I was talking about the uh, the children's version of Misbehaven over on the on Misbehavin this week.
0: Oh really? The okay. Interlude.
1: And it's just like, ugh, I just hate their little voices. Um <laughs> but the Peasall sisters are Sarah, Hannah, and Leah. And with their inclusion on this soundtrack, it made them the youngest vocal group nominated for a contribution to a Grammy Award winner for album of the year.
0: That's amazing.
1: Which means that uh, Leah is the youngest Grammy winner at eight years old.
0: Oh, good for her. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's her heart. Uh,
0: I, I, I guess what, I, what I'll what i say for this is if it gets us to the scene where George Clooney is arguing with a bunch of little girls, and that's amazing.
1: Yes. <laughs> One last note about the Peasall sisters. They also contributed their version of Mosey Lister's gospel song, Where No One Stands Alone, for True Grit. Oh. So the Coens actually like them a lot.
0: Apparently, yeah. Um,
1: but it turns out that they are Everett's daughters. Yes. And it turns out he was hit by a train. What did you find, a train? Mama says she was hit by a train. Bluey, nothing left. We also learned that his wife, Penny, of course, standing in for Penelope. Of course. Uh, she has a new bow, and he's bonafide.
0: Mm-hmm. He's a you suitor. Say, uh, yes. <laughs> So one of, one of the things I love about the Coen Brothers is they'll have just random characters just start repeating lines over and over again because they think it's funny and it's always funny.
1: Yeah, because if we go back to the the scene in uh, Wash's barn, he keeps saying we're in a tight spot. Yeah, which is like, okay, you've said that six times. We are aware of it. Oh,
0: it's the rule of threes. You know, it's it's comedy.
1: I guess, but six <laughs> times. Oh, sure. I'm, <laughs> We have a very brief second musical interlude um, with the Cox family singing I Am Weary, Let Mm -hmm. Me Rest before we go uh, to meet the rest of uh, Everett's family. Uh, So let's play a clip of that.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: To talk about it briefly because like Alan Lomax, Roberts is vital to the preservation of the American music that we have right on this soundtrack. He was the co-founder of Bluegrass Unlimited. Um he's been its editor since 1970, or was he died in 2017? Um, he helped form the International Bluegrass Music Association, the International Bluegrass Music Museum. Wow. And in addition to being a DJ and a music producer for a short time, He was a recording division technician at the Library of Congress, transferring recordings like what we have here from these very fragile disks and cylinders to magnetic tape.
0: I don't use this phrase often, but I'll say it here. Doing the Lord's work.
1: Yes. Again, one of those people without whom the soundtrack would not exist.
0: Right. I mean, really, when, when we harp on, you know, keeping physical media, this is exactly what we're talking about
1: preserving that right um uh, from these these fragile states wax cylinders um have about 25 plays in them
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: they're really 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 fragile and the cox family again more family acts yep. um, are a major deal to bluegrass fans their 1994 collaboration with allison krauss i know who holds tomorrow won the 1995 Grammy award for best southern country or bluegrass Co- gospel album.
0: Wow, good for them.
1: They're bonafide.
0: They're bonafide, that's right. Uh, of all the songs on this soundtrack, this is the one that I I tend to skip because it's just too sad.
1: It's pretty sad. It's
0: it's like it's not even like it's, bleak or dark, it's just sad. Yeah. Like it I really go, is. I could go into some stories about like I don't want to cry on this podcast tonight.
1: Yes. <laughs> Yeah, we don't want that.
0: No, nobody wants to hear that.
1: We find out that um, Everett's got seven kids, including one he didn't even know about.
0: Yeah. <laughs> he meets his wife for the first time, and he just looks at this baby in her arms, and he says, who is that?
1: <laughs> and his wife is played by Holly Hunter.
0: Who, once again, is just the best.
1: So perfect in this film. Um, And her fiancé, her suitor, is vernon he is played by ray mckinnon
0: one of your favorite actors i know
1: i love ray mckinnon oscar winner ray mckinnon
0: mm-hmm, to you mm-hmm.
1: um but in my head he's played by tim balt and i don't know if that's just because i'm you know we almost finished with the first season of the righteous gemstones for misbehaving but i or if it's like his inflection but either way ray mckinnon walked so that tim baltz could shake that cake
0: <laughs> i mean it tracks like i could see it i could definitely see it. like if they remade this movie for some reason i could totally see him playing vernon
1: absolutely Um, uh, because he's just got that sort of dry dorkiness
0: exactly he's, like he's,
1: he's probably would be a really good suitor though like
0: probably i mean he's got a really good job he's the campaign manager for homer stokes
1: he's bona fide and he's bona fide he's got prospects <laughs> um, when Everett calls his wife a succubus he says he is not going to talk to her that way which is how I'd want my fiance to stand up for me yeah of course oh. of and course. they fight and Everett gets his ass kicked
0: because he's got the goofiest boxing stance in the history of boxing oh my
1: God. Like, yes. he's holding
0: both of his hands like away from his face like what else are you going to do
1: yeah, and, and he, he gets, gets
0: kicked, he gets kicked out of Woolworths,
1: and stay out of the Woolworths.
0: And and later Delmar has to ask, was that just the one or all of them?
1: I I think probably just the one.
0: Uh, probably because back then, who's gonna know?
1: Exactly. Uh.
0: So so later, Delmar and Everett, they're they're uh licking their wounds, I guess, at a movie theater, and all of a sudden a chain gang comes in and the prison guards are ushering in a whole bunch of prisoners to come and watch the, the, the show with them. And they get a movie day. Yeah. They get a field trip to the movies. Yeah. Um, but Pete's there. Pete's one of the prisoners and he's trying to tell them, do not seek the treasure. And they don't fully understand what that means. So they go and break, break him out that night. Um,
1: and he admits that he sold them out.
0: Yes. He, he cops to be selling them out and Everett has to then admit uh that there was in fact no treasure.
1: Nope, he busted the mouse so to get his wife back
0: yep Th- they they fight because all of a sudden Pete realizes like you know he's gonna be thrown back in jail for fifty more years, but their fight their fight leads them down a hill uh next to a clan rally.
1: <laughs> this whole thing looks goofy as hell, and obviously the clan unfortunately remains a problem in society. But I think one of the ways we can attack them is to point out that they look fucking silly. Oh yeah, with their little dance moves. Like you guys look dumb.
0: Yeah, you you look silly. You don't know how to dance. You're you're not coordinated at all. What are you guys doing
1: with your little dresses? Yeah, and little dresses, and your little hats. Uh,
0: um, no, apparently this was this this whole like the the most of the actors were an army drill team. Uh, most of whom were african-american
1: oh boy
0: <laughs> so I, I don't know what to think about any of this
1: there's a certain amount of reclamation in a way
0: yeah and I mean, again it's,
1: like making fun
0: it's it's millbrooks making fun of hitler all over again so but,
1: but the the song that is playing here uh the grand wizard we find is singing oh death um which is attributed to uh, musician and Baptist preacher Lloyd Chandler, but likely uh, adapted from songs already existing in the region.
0: Right, and and the performance itself is by Ralph Stanley, who we know who we noted earlier had won a Grammy for this performance.
1: He did, and rightfully so. It's a very creepy performance. Um,
0: yeah, it's very spooky.
1: Alan. Yes, Alan Lomax recorded uh, Bessie Jones singing it, and if you're familiar with the documentary Harlan County, USA,
0: mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Nimrod Workman, a union activist, coal miner, and folk singer, uh, sang it in that film.
0: okay. Yeah, Harlan County, USA is is, is a fascinating watch on its own, but now, now I need to go back and watch it for that.
1: It really is. I love that film. It's great. Uh, Shaky Graves sings it uh, on Fargo. Okay. It's weird because I'm starting to think that maybe... Uh, Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou has more in common with Fargo than Fargo has in common with Fargo.
0: It's true. Oh, man, that might be true.
1: (laughs) Ralph Stanley, as we said, sings it. But he was the one that convinced T-Bone Burnett to let him sing it in this style, which is Appalachian Primitive Baptist Universalist style. Mm -hmm. As you can imagine, this song is very popular with metal bands and has been covered by everybody.
0: Oh, yeah. Getting back to the scene, there's a ton of stuff going on here. Because uh, so the Grand Wizard is singing this song. The Grand Wizard, who very, we very quickly learn is Homer Stokes mm-hmm. with his his little man friend as like the mini Grand Wizard, I guess. Are, uh, they're also they're going to lynch Tommy. So Everett and Pete and Delmar decide to break Tommy out. But they were already in blackface because they were just busting Pete out of the joint. So now they are in blackface saving a black person from a clan rally.
1: Yes, and I wondered, like when we talk about it as blackface, was it simply I don't think it was like we are going to disguise ourselves as African American performers? No, I think, it was more I think we it, are going to be as dark so that we blend in with the night.
0: yeah, we're going to cover ourselves in grease paint so we can hide from the police.
1: yeah, so right. I, I do want to make that distinction, but
0: but when when, when their are hoods unmasked, are, are when their hoods are removed. Everybody says, you know, oh, my gosh, the color guard is colored.
1: So it reads as blackface. I don't feel like I have the tools necessary to break this down.
0: I know I'm like not equipped to explain it. I'm just saying that all of a sudden the movie has layered several like several problematic things on top of itself. And I think the solution that it finds for itself is let's just do silly and also kill off the Cyclops.
1: The speech that uh, Stokes makes, you could honestly pick pick any Republican candidate. You would pick J.D. Vance, pick Ron DeSantis, um, any of them, and put this over top of it. You could probably make a very convincing deep fake.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Of this speech. And no one would know the difference.
0: No. like it, it, Nothing would have changed.
1: Yes. This is the Republican Party platform right now. Yeah. I'm... Um,
0: all the way down to complaining about evolution, which apparently is still something that we have to argue about in this country
1: um they managed to throw the flag and Big Dan catches it, mm-hmm. but he can't catch the burning cross they knock down right and we take out the Cyclops
0: this immediately leads into the next scene, which is like the big like finale, I guess where it's it's a campaign rally and all these musicians are playing and they're going to pose as musicians so that that uh, that Everett can get close to Penny one more time. And so <laughs> they're on stage, they're wearing these like ZZ Top beards basically. And they And uh,
1: they borrowed some overalls from Dexie's Midnight Runners.
0: Yeah, so they're they're basically pretending pretending to be old-timey, I guess. Uh, in again, in the world of this film, I don't know what that means, but so then we get Uh, The next song on our soundtrack here Where uh, the Soggy Bottom Boys are officially on stage And Delmar leads us into a rendition of In the Jailhouse Now Let's go to a clip He's in the jailhouse now He's in the jailhouse now Well, I told him once or twice To stop playing cards and shooting dice He's in the jailhouse now
1: Unlike the other Soggy Bottom Boys tracks, Tim Blake Nelson actually does sing this one. Yes. I also just found out he's from Oklahoma. He's from Tulsa, which delights me.
0: He does, a, makes he me, does a great job.
1: This really makes me happy because it's like, hey, someone from Oklahoma I can be proud of. Um, <laughs> now, the earliest recordings of this song go back to 1915 by Davis and Stafford, and their version is about a corrupt politician and a man cheating at cards. Mm-hmm. Blind Blake and Jim Jackson also recorded versions around the same time, but Jimmy Rogers gets the main credit for it. Again, c- probably because he's a white artist. Yep, yep, um, yep. At one point, his albums, including this version, or including his version of this song, were so popular during the Depression that they accounted for 10% of RCA Victor's sales.
0: Ooh, gosh.
1: Um, Webb Pierce, Johnny Cash, and Merle Haggard have also covered it and Johnny Cash's uh, harkens back to the nineteen fifteen version he draws some elements from that, so again, as we talk about going back and finding different versions of these songs and piecing them together and making them your own mm-hmm. it's really kind of neat and I feel um, like too
0: in in lots of cases this this is uh you know more modern artists just taking the versions that they grew up with, whether or not that was the you know the predominant version at the time and just running with it, so it's, it's lots also of little really like. Neat little little variations and alterations just because of that's just kind of how regional these songs were
1: now imagine if there were 15 versions of like dynamite out at the same time like,
0: uh, uh, like, see, di- that's, like like different
1: people were all recording this one song at the same time and again maybe depending on what area you're in you had all these different versions of it
0: right and i was i was about to say like this this feels like like, manufacturing a Mandela effect where, it, like, nobody remembers it exactly the same way, but it it's for a very specific reason.
1: <laughs> and, I, I don't know, I I find that very, very cool. Um, The Yodeling is done by Pat Enright, uh, who sings for him on Man of Constant Sorrow, and he is from the Nashville Bluegrass Band. Mm. So that's not Tim Blake Nelson yodeling, unfortunately.
0: But um, it should have been. <laughs> it could have been.
1: <laughs> it could have been. Uh, one more note about this song gene autry sang this in and i'm not kidding around back in the saddle
0: (laughs) (laughs) of course
1: coming back to gene autry the simpsons
0: (laughs) and see once again the cohen brothers and tim blake nelson would do a singing cowboy movie you know much later in ballad of buster scruggs
1: they would which should introduce us as to tom waits possibly being santa claus if Uh, just put that idea out into the national consciousness you never know you never know
0: um, uh, but while 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 Delmar is singing this song, Everett is trying. Pete's to... Pete's con-
1: doing a really weird dance. I really just want to point out how <laughs> weird Pete's dance is.
0: Yes, 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 yes.
1: It's a podcast, so you can't. You have to visualize it yourself. But what is that? Will somebody please explain what that is to me?
0: Yeah, it, it's like somebody just had the the concept of dancing explained to them, and they have to try and repeat it.
1: <laughs> uh, like this is the Charleston. Now you do it. I'm not going to demonstrate it. I'm just going to describe it.
0: <laughs> but while uh pete and delmar are performing this song everett is off to the side trying to convince penny that he's got a plan and he's got a future if he'll she'll just go with him and then all of a sudden all, oh god all of a sudden all, <laughs> all of a sudden <laughs> they launch into man of constant sorrow and everett has no choice he has to perform he's got to be the the man on stage and he realizes oh my god i'm famous <laughs>
1: Yes, this song is a huge hit, and this is the version that when people think about it, because it has the full band. Yeah, this is this is the ver- like the iconic version.
0: This is the one that you you have, you have heard on the radio.
1: This is the single version.
0: Yes, yes. this is the single. This is uh, this is the clip from the movie that they turned into the music video because I definitely remember seeing this on MTV.
1: I do because like that clip of him when he's singing your friends may think I'm just a stranger and pulling down his beard, like lives rent free in my head. Oh yeah. I that's don't know like, why.
0: That's like proto Elvis shit right there.
1: It just <laughs> lives there. i um, and people just like absolutely lose their goddamn minds over this song. God damn, this is of the <laughs> <laughs> and again, like, have these people ever danced before? I mean, these are sort of like Michael Stipe-esque dance moves.
0: Yeah, and it's 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 uh, not even like uh, any kind of country dancing I've ever seen. It's like guys who've never attended a hoedown trying to replicate a hoedown.
1: Pretty sure that George Clooney watched the video for Losing My Religion and thought, I'm going to dance like that
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> in that movie that's going to win a Grammy. Yep. Oh uh, but Homer Stokes cannot have this shit and he reveals that they are that he is a racist.
0: Mhm. He reveals that, that and they th-
1: ain't even old timey.
0: <laughs> they ain't even white cuz they're still in like grease paint makeup cause, and then you know, of course Tommy's up there on stage so he you know he he complains that they're they're integrated and then Pappy looks around and he's like well maybe people don't care about that.
1: Yeah. Um, and
0: Pappy sees an opportunity because Homer Stokes gets run out of town on a rail.
1: I love that this movie imagines a time where that would sink a candidacy.
0: Yeah, really? It's
1: like a magical time where you couldn't be racist in public. You had to be racist in the privacy of your own home. <laughs> but also, like, the, the racism doesn't really seem to bother the people so much, which is period appropriate. It's that they just want to hear the Soggy Bottom Boys.
0: Yeah, it's that he's interrupting their favorite song and we can't have that shit.
1: Like, imagine if you, like, you're at a concert, you're seeing, I don't know, Smash Mouth, and Joe Rogan comes out on stage.
0: <laughs> These guys ain't even ska, they ain't even old time, they ain't even two-tone. <laughs> they finish the song, and Papi Daniel gets up on stage and dances with him, and decides to issue a, a pardon out on the radio for the Soggy Bottom Boys. He, he makes them sing You Are My Sunshine, which is weird all on its own. <laughs>
1: They have to prove they're old-timey, I guess, even though, again, this song will not be released for another two years.
0: I, yeah. I mean, maybe they're trying to say that Papio Daniel wrote this song. Who knows?
1: Maybe. But Penny and Everett are back together, and Pete and Delmar are going to be uh, the best men at his wedding tomorrow, but she's got to find the wedding ring. Yep. He's got to ha- She has to have it. He's got to go find it from the roll-top desk. She said her piece, and she's counted to three.
0: Mm-hmm mm-hmm before but before we can go there uh we meet george nelson one last time because an angry mob is leading him to the electric chair
1: yes and to the sounds of indian war whoop by hoytening i'm um, played on this uh by john harper
0: so let's we'll play a little bit of that here <laughs> just a fun little a little ditty there's really nothing much to it
1: i really i love this tune
0: this is good this is really good
1: incredible um this his recording in 1928 was included in the anthology of american folk music so it is a really important piece Mm -hmm. um he spent his life as a potato farmer for the most part and uh there was a a revival of his music in the 70s probably do in part to someone like Pete Roberts, mm. bringing bluegrass to the forefront. Okay. Oh, so, one last note on um, George Nelson actually died in Willamette, Illinois after a shootout with police. Yeah, he did not go to the electric chair.
0: No, but I do love the the detail where he's like he's very manic and he's explaining what's going on and he's like twenty uh, thousand volts chasing a rabbit through yours truly. You just don't get good dialogue like that anymore.
1: Nope, that's Cohen Brothers' dialogue. So,
0: so they, they go to Everett's family home to retrieve his wife's wedding ring. And the house, I'm almost positive the house is the evil dead house. Because, they, you, you know, the help. Coens famously worked on the evil dead. But, like, it's, a, it's such a strange detail to include. And it's also just ominous. Because as we'll find out, oh, the devil has tracked them down. And the sheriff is here to uh, collect his due.
1: Yes, he has dug three graves and strung up three nooses. Mm-hmm. The grave diggers are singing Lonesome Valley because they are the Fairfield Four.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, now, this is another traditional spiritual. Um, The Fairfield Four have existed for over 100 years.
0: Wow. Yes.
1: Yeah, they started as a trio at the Fairfield Baptist Church in 1921. They didn't make a recording until 1946. Um, they've released over a hundred recordings, um, on multiple labels. They've disbanded. They've re- performed a few times. Um, I don't know which of them are still alive or if it's the son of, um, but in 2015, they released an album still rocking my soul. It won the best roots gospel album at the Grammys.
0: Oh my God. Good for them. <laughs> You got to go to the lonesome valley, you got to go. But as they're singing this and Everett uh, gets down onto his knees to pray for salvation, uh, salvation does come in the form of the flood that was going to flood the valley, and that pretty much finishes that off.
1: Yep, we see so many cans of Dapper Dan.
0: A, a po- the poor hound dog is trying to swim to safety. He's okay. The happy little tire swing gets washed away. Um, mm-hmm.
1: We see the banjo. Yep,
0: yeah, we see we see a a cow a cow standing on the, a barn as as the old uh, as the old railman predicted at the beginning of the film Yes.
1: now all three of them managed to fit on one of the caskets that has floated up from the grave so what's Rose and Jack's excuse
0: <laughs> good point <On>. good question
1: <laughs> it, Tommy is on the roll top desk so they can retrieve the ring
0: yep and only, only later do we find out that's not the right ring
1: and they have to go back married- to get it
0: even though the house yep. is at the bottom of a pretty damn big lake
1: he doesn't care how big it is. They're not getting married without that ring. Yep. Um, now. i um, We hear the All sisters singing "Angel Band," mm-hmm. but on the album, it's the Stanley Brothers version.
0: Yeah, and it as the end credits start, it transitions to the Stanley Brothers. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, but it's. I just think it's a little weird that. That they wouldn't include the girls singing because they're so delightful. Yeah, no, I like just I kind of like their like version it. better. No, I don't. I'm just kidding. Um, wow. Okay. It's still you children just, singing, tra- and I don't. You just
0: trapped me into that one. Okay.
1: I did. No, it's fine. Um, <laughs> but I kind of I like it for the film better than the uh, Stanley
0: Brothers version. Right. Right. Right.
1: Because we've already established them as characters, so like, let's hear their version. Like, let's yeah. hear it in the world. Of course.
0: Yeah. Why not? So, I'm.
1: Um, Emily Harris has sung this song as well. Okay. This one dates back to 1951. Oh, come, angel band. Come and around me stand. Oh, bear me away
0: on your snow-white wings to my immortal
1: heart. And we see this soothsayer pass by on it. A-
0: Yes, and he's also singing the song. And then, as the film uh, fades to credits, we also we have one last rendition of "Keep on the Sunny Side." Uh, this version's by the Cox family.
1: That's it for "Oh Brother, Where Art Thou." Yeah, I was so happy to revisit this. It's
0: it, it's delightful. It's one that I don't go back to often enough. Honestly, I do love it. Even among Coen Brothers films, this is just purely entertaining.
1: It's a really nice, like you said, it's a good film to. You know, spend spend some time with in the fall.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: It's got a little bit of warmth and a lot, and a little bit of coolness as, as fall settles over all of us.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, so what are we doing next time, Joe?
0: Well, next time we are doing another one of our on the fives episodes. It's going to be our 80th episode, and I think it's time for us to go way, way back, even further old timey uh, to, to the to the time of the dinosaurs. Oh,
1: goodness. We're going
0: to cover the soundtrack to the TV show Dinosaurs.
1: So is it big songs?
0: Big songs from Dinosaurs. Yes, that's what it's called. This is one that uh, you and I have been threatening each other for for a long time, and then we're going to finally just dig into it.
1: It's the genesis of this podcast.
0: It kind of is. Yeah. It
1: really is. So, all right. We'll look for that. Look for our poll. Yes. on, On Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?
0: Yes, you can find that on our Twitter account, at OST Party. Uh, You can email us anything you want, from recommendations to uh, questions, comments, whatever you like, at um, ostpartypod at gmail.com. Libby, where can our listeners find you?
1: You can find me on Twitter, at Libby Cudmore. You can find me on Instagram, at record underscore Saturday. Or you can listen to me talk more about John Goodman and the good word that he preaches uh, and all of his crimes. (laughs) on the (laughs) misbehaving podcast joe where can we find you
0: You can find me on twitter and instagram at cordial wombat or you can hear me yell about christmas movies all year around on the christmas creeps podcast uh we're gearing up for home for the horror days where we're talking about uh christmas themed horror movies and i cannot wait oh boy it's gonna be fun All right, well, that about does it. So uh, for the OST Party, I'm Joseph Wade.
1: And I'm Libby Cudmore.
0: Buy the ticket.
1: Take the ride.